Welcome to the first ever podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Baum. If this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. My guest this week is Katie Crutchfield of Waxahachie. Really awesome to have her on. I have been a big fan for a long time, and uh, our friendship goes way back. Uh, we get into that a little bit. Um, I want to shout out my sponsor, Rootless Coffee Company. is a small batch roaster out of Flint, Michigan, making high-end coffee with bags designed by some of the comic industry's rising stars, collaborating with artists, bands, brands, nonprofits, wrestlers, comedians, and more. Rootless is the punk rock gateway to craft coffee. Easy to understand and delicious roast options. Listeners get 20% off by using the code HARDTIMES at checkout when visiting rootlesscoffee.com. Any size, any grind, any time. Break free from boring. Also, I'd like to just toss it out there that if you haven't subscribed to the podcast on uh, Spotify or Apple, that really helps. Throwing a, a rating, a review over on Apple is a gigantic help. And if you feel like being just the biggest sweetheart in the entire world, you can head over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon if you want to support the show that way. All right. So Katie has a lot of tour dates coming up. Uh, She's about to open for Bright Eyes at the end of this month. Her and Lucy Dacus, which sounds like just an incredible show. It's happening in New York. And then she kicks off a almost two month long headlining tour starting August 31st in Kansas City. A lot of the shows on that tour are sold out, um, but if you can make it out, I would highly recommend it. She is such an incredible performer, and her newest record, St. Cloud, deserves that kind of love. All right, I'm not going to take up any more of your time. This is my conversation with Katie Crutchfield. Thank you for being here. Enjoy. Uh, Katie, thanks so much for for hanging out with me today. It's nice to it's nice to see your face. It's so nice to see your face too. How's it going? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I, I was just complaining about the heat, which is like the most boring thing to talk about during the summer. Um, but it's just it's it's hitting it's hitting the high today. It's hitting the high today. How and, uh, high is it? It's got me a little sad. Um, where I'm at, it's supposed to be 103. Today. Oh, I was about to brag and be like, it's like 95 here, but. <laughs> You got me beat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the next couple of days is just going to be like the first heat wave, which is also always stressful, too, because we have such bad wildfire problems here every year. Yeah. So that's it's just like everybody's kind of already thinking like, well, here it comes like any minute now somewhere. It's just about to catch fire. So, ugh. yeah, it's the it's the bummer season in L.A. right now. Like, truly, I think we, we spent. um a lot of the winter there this year, which was sort of like peak COVID. So it was, it, it was bad in a different way, but weather wise, it was like heaven, like just truly like so amazing. And we were loving every second of it. And yeah, now is the time when it's like good to get out maybe. <laughs> right. Yeah. Where in a, where in LA were you hold up? Uh, we were in Eagle Rock. Uh, that's where my sister lives. So yeah, just spent like months, a couple months there. I didn't know your sister was out here. How long has she been living out here? Um, like three years. Oh, that's incredible. And yeah. we're not even that far. I'm in I'm in Glendale, so she's she's Stone's Throw. That's Love awesome. It. Yeah. Um. Uh, so you, I, I, you know, we've known each other for a while now. I was trying to even, 
I wonder if I could even put a, a year idea on when we first met, because that would have been with, with the fake problems uh, kids. That was that probably, what, 2000? It was 2007. Nine? It was 2007. Seven. I remember. Um, oh it's so God. beautiful because I, I have like such a special memory of meeting you because I met you the first time in my entire life that I ever went to Los Angeles. Aww. I was 18 years old. I had just graduated high school. Um, and I was on tour with fake problems and that was such a big moment in my life. Like that was, uh, the first full U S tour I ever did. Um, and yeah, like it, it really put me on a, um, like a path to touring um, all the time. So I remember meeting you because I remember being really excited about being in L.A. and all that stuff with those guys. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, well, I mean, that that's eventually a, a question that I'll, I'll have on here about, like, just, like, first touring experiences and stuff like that. But, oh, that's so cool. I didn't yeah. I didn't know that that was your first jaunt around the U.S. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you're, you, uh, you're from Birmingham originally, right? Like, that's the born and raised... Born and raised yeah. in Birmingham. Yep. Um, I, you know, it, it would come as no surprise that you likely had a very musical household um, with you and your sister being both musicians and things like that. Was that something that your your folks, uh, were, were they musicians at all? It's so funny. Like earlier in my career in life, I feel like I was asked that a lot and I was always very quick to say no. Like we don't, there's no music in my house and Allison and I just like had this like immaculate sort of like drive toward uh, music and or whatever. And that's really not true. I feel like I've been sort of reprocessing that in the last few years. And my mom actually loves music and um, has like this sort of encyclopedic knowledge of pop music from 60s, 70s, 80s and has really good taste. Um, but I think that, you know, earlier on... I was so drawn toward punk music and like just my angst like put me there and like with sort of like modern indie and things like that. So growing up, it was a musical household. My parents aren't musicians, but they both love music. Um, And I've only sort of circled back to the music that I grew up on in the last few years. It's kind of it's funny how that happens, how maybe stuff that you're around when you're a kid, uh, you're maybe like resisting you're like i don't know if that's uh, you know that's that's my parents music but it's funny when you probably get into your like late 20s 30s things like that is when you're like oh wait actually this is really good actually like that's how it was with with uh, like there was my mom loved country music and as a kid who likes punk music or metal music you're like no thanks but as i got older i was like oh wait i actually really like you know these like waylon jennings songs and like patsy klein and you know johnny cash and all that sort of stuff like i came around to and realized it was actually quite special yeah that was my exact experience um to a t and even some of the stuff that like maybe is like less sophisticated than Waylon Jennings and Patsy Cline, like even pop country from the 90s that I grew up on I'm now I've come back around to and I'm like actually the the very foundation of my songwriting like comes from this probably like you can probably draw a line to like Trisha Yearwood quicker than you could draw a line to like Bikini Kill for me you know what I mean I feel like I've I really analyzed it (laughs) recently and I'm like I feel like you know it's funny how you come full circle to those things. That's a that's an incredible realization. Uh, I was trying to think of some <laughs> other some other people that my mom liked. Um, I'm sure. I wonder if it was the same. What about like Travis Tritt 
or like. <laughs> it is so funny you bring up Travis Tritt because I was just talking about him earlier today. No way. <laughs> um, yeah, my best friend is in L.A. right now. She doesn't live there, but she's visiting. And she was like, should I buy this Travis Tritt vintage tea? And I was like, yeah, Course. definitely. <laughs> Course. <laughs> Um, is he still active? I, yeah. Is he still active? Is, is he still That's around? That's something I'm going to look up after this. Yeah, I would love to know. He had a really strong mullet, if I remember correctly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. That's. I think. I think that's what I remember kind of more than anything. My mom had like the biggest crush on him too. Thought he was like you know the end all be all. So you know, sounds I, like she has amazing taste. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what? So then that said, like, um, do you remember what the first music that you connected with yourself that like you know maybe felt like yours when you were young yeah um you know I think that my earliest memories of that stuff is is all um country music of the time so like what we're talking about Travis Tritt <laughs> and Trisha Yearwood those types of things like Winona you know people like that um that was my first, I, and I, I think what it really stemmed from was like a love of singing. Um, and I liked singing along to the radio. And so that, I think that was like the first domino. But then I remember um, when the Beatles released like the number one CD. The like red That cover. was something my mom played. Yep, exactly. My mom played that constantly. And I remember that was also really exciting, just like Beatles songs. And um, she loved Fleetwood Mac and um, she still does. And uh, so a lot of like that kind of music too. Um, and just like anything like that, any sort of pop music from like the 60s, 70s, 80s was kind of exciting to me. Um, that was sort of, and sorry, not to give too many, but um, she, my mom also loves musical theater and like musicals. So we would watch a lot of musicals growing up and, and b- become very familiar with the songs is that something that you still enjoy today like do you like uh for instance i mean obviously in the heights just came out have you uh have you have you watched that yet <gasps> not yet but i can hang i can hang with musical theater yeah it's not i'm not i don't like seek it out and it's not something that i um that i keep up with but occasionally like the Aeneas Mitchell um, musical Hades Town that won a few Tonys a few years ago, and I'm a fan of Aeneas's music anyway. But um, I found that to be super good and very inspiring. And um, yeah, if something like is I think is really really special, and I think the songs are really special, like I can hang with musical theater. <laughs> have you uh, have you ever had the opportunity to like go to any Broadway shows in New York or anything like that ever? Mm, yeah, I have. It's been, well, I saw Hades Town, the one I just mentioned, um, right before the shutdown. So I guess like February of 2020. Um, and then before that, not since I was a teenager, but but I went to a few, like my first few times going to New York. Okay. Did you? Did you is there any that stood out that you enjoyed? Yeah. Oh, you know what? Well, this doesn't really count. Kevin and I went and saw um, Bruce Springsteen on Broadway too, which was oh, that'd be, incredible. Yeah, I'm sure. Incredible. I'm sure. Um, but. Oh, yeah, that was good. That was a good, um, that was money well spent. But, um, yeah, I'm trying to remember. I mean, not really. I mean, just like the um, sort of like, it was just like sort of like a sparkly experience in my life to like go to a Broadway show, you know. But um, by the time I went, I was already sort of like super into indie music and was a little like not as excited about it anymore. But movie we watched like movies all the time as a kid i love like singing in the rain and that kind of stuff just like old musicals 
Um, I it's funny. I never thought I would enjoy musicals or anything like that. And then um, on a family trip, uh, my brother, my mom, and I went and saw Wicked because uh, she had Fine. really wanted to see it. And I and I went in being like kind of like, well, this is gonna be a long few hours. And both and like she fell asleep. My brother, I think maybe <laughs> fell asleep. And the whole time, I'm like. My eyes are like glassy. I am in it. I have like I have the best time. Like I was like this intermission couldn't be any longer. I'm having bring me back. Of course. I I really understand that. I feel like I would feel the same way and if I just got like dragged to whatever musical, I I'm sure I'd enjoy every second of it. The last one that I caught here in LA, they had a, I don't know if you saw that they were doing this, but there was a Amelie the musical. Like they, no, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, they did a musical of that, and uh, my fiance and I went and caught that, and because I was like, "What are her, you know, like one of her favorite movies from back when?" So I saw that they were doing a musical, so I got his tickets as like a present, and it was it was great, it was fun. Really? Yeah. You know what's so funny about Amelie is like I saw that movie so many times, and I love it, and I could not tell you the plot of Amelie if you like begged me to right now i have no clue what happened in that movie right yeah I, I it's been i mean it's been a minute all i remember it's like she has the there's like the 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 unspoken crush and they're kind of like oh, playing yeah. games with each other trying to figure out yes the, yeah that's kind of it and it like oh, takes yeah. place in, the, in <laughs> it takes place in like the in the coffee shop and there's like the funny people in yes. the coffee shop yeah it's a sweet movie it's a good one i could rewatch that yeah i could yeah. watch anomaly yeah. Yeah, yeah why not um, so, uh, when I'm curious, was, uh, was there ever with you and your sister being as close as you are, like, was there any sort of like, um, uh, musical competition with like, oh, I got into this before you or like, or did you, were you both on the same kind of journey the whole time? Yeah, it's such a complicated, interesting dynamic that we have. <laughs> um, it is like, it's really beautiful. And it's like, unlike any relationship in my whole life, like in, in general, but also musically. Um, I, early on, like when we were 15 and we were like in the basement, sort of like starting out, you know, um, I was the one who was singing, playing guitar, writing the songs, kind of running running the show in that way. Um, and Allison was my drummer, basically, and we were learning how to play our instruments in real time together, um, which was so great. I mean, like, if, you know, people are listening and want their children to be musicians, try to push them into two different instruments and put them in a room together and let them learn how to play together. I feel like it was really effective. Um, but that was our... That was our earliest experience, and then, you know, in our early early bands, that was how it went, really from, like, age 15 to 22, um, and then Allison started writing songs, and I have always been really excited about that, and, like, I've always really loved her songs, and then that shifted our dynamic a little, where we've had to, like, learn how to bring each other in and how to have boundaries, and it's like, you know, it was definitely... It's never been competitive. It's just been, like, complicated. I have the same type of relationship um, with my partner, Kevin, uh, about with music stuff where it's, like, no one's opinion means more to me. Um, but at the same time, like, you have to kind of learn when to bring that in and when to shut that out. Um, and I think we both, Allison and I, um, have that with each other. So 
I guess that's a really long-winded answer. Oh, no. Um, makes, I mean, that makes perfect sense. I, I mean, yeah, uh, uh, clearly when it comes to writing music and stuff like that, uh, that that completely makes sense. I was almost kind of more so meaning, like, were you discovering, like, say, like, Bikini Kill at the same time? Or, like, were yeah. you on different musical paths ever where, like, oh, you know, I'm really more into this indie stuff. You like more, like, aggressive punk stuff or, or things like that. That's so funny. I mean, I would say we are more different now than we've ever been. Um, and when we were younger, we were really on the same tip. Um, and there were things, I remember like Allison like liked Interpol more than me. Mm-hmm. And I liked Rilo Kylie more than her. You know, there were things like that where like, there were like really silly little details of like, she likes this one thing a little bit more than me and vice versa. Um, but yeah, otherwise, no, we were pretty much on the same path as far as our taste goes got it um so you you mentioned it was about it was about 15 when you both started playing uh like musical instruments and stuff um what was your first guitar it was a yamaha acoustic that i think my parents probably bought at like costco (laughs) as a christmas present so it was like nothing fancy and nothing special and i played it for a decade, um, every like solo show I ever played and every song I wrote pretty much for like 10 years was on that guitar. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming you still have it somewhere. I think it's at my parents' house. Yeah. Okay. That's beautiful. (laughs) Um, did you do like lessons or did you kind of just start learning on your own? No, I was self-taught. Um, and it's funny, like the seams of that will show occasionally to this day. Um, I was just changing strings the other day and with my, we just played a few shows and my band was kind of like all sitting around and I was changing strings and I feel like everyone kept side-eyeing, like being like, oh, watch it. You know, like just, I was, things were flying, like the little pegs in the acoustic were like flying. It was just, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm very much self-taught. Um, and I feel like that, that has, served me well actually was uh the Ackleys is the first band that you actually started right like uh you and your sister or was it was there any other bands before that that was like your first try the Ackleys were the first band um we we had a couple lineup changes and so there were several eras of the Ackleys um but that was our first band and it lasted you know, kind of a long time, really from like, like, for like five years, I would say maybe, maybe four, four or five years we were a band. I wanted to ask, you put out, uh, I know there was like a couple of releases under the Ackleys and it was under a label called House of Love Records. What's the, what's the backstory with House of Love? Was that just like a friend that was down to put it out or how did that come your way? Well, did you ever play at Cave Nine in Birmingham? Yes. Okay. It was, so yeah, Cave Nine for the listeners, um, was a all ages DIY music space that, um, had amazing shows and whatever. And, um, that was like where the Ackleys played our first real shows. And we sort of became like the house band there and played, um, lots of shows there over the years. And the guy who ran it was a a man named Aaron Hamilton. And he started that label, I guess to put out local records, I was going to say to, to put out the Ackley's record, but I don't think that's actually true. But I, I do think that was kind of like, it became a little bit of a passion project. And he, he took us on our, he was a little older than us and took us on our first few tours, like to chaperone because we were literally 16. <laughs> and our parents were like, you can't 
go out of town to play shows. Um, but yeah, he really taught um, me and Allison and my other bandmates how to be in a band, which was cool. Okay. Well, I mean, there you go. That sounds like a, it could even be considered your first touring experience. Were they like weekend warrior sort of things? Like where you're just kind of like, was it all within Alabama? No, it was like um, Pensacola, Florida or Atlanta or, um, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina, you know, just regional Nashville, anywhere that was like kind of within driving distance. And what, so this year would have been mid to like early to mid 2000s, probably right. Like 2005 ish. Yeah. 2005. Exactly. That's okay. right around. Am I good? I'm going to take a, a shot in the dark where these shows like set up maybe via like MySpace. Yep. That was all. I mean, that was like <laughs> all of the early, uh, all the early shows. That's how we did it. I mean, I learned from fake problems and I feel like that's how they did it too. Um, was like you, you find like-minded people on MySpace and you look at their tour route and you like notice the venues and then you just write emails or MySpace messages to those places and before you know it, you have a tour. Yeah, you just log in and hope that you see the like the the red uh, new <laughs> new message th- uh, yep. thing that comes in, and you're like, please let that be someone confirming the show in whatever I town. Know. And uh, and truly, it like hasn't changed that much. <laughs> Still, no. kind of like <laughs> the little red message icon. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, yeah, I I definitely remember what it was like book, uh, booking tours on MySpace, and and uh, sometimes it was uh, it worked out great, and then sometimes you showed up and the uh, the the show wasn't actually happening, and you're like, okay, well, that's what I yep. get for trusting a, a a random photo on MySpace to to, to book <laughs> the show. So here we go. Um, yeah, <sighs> definitely a different time. Definitely a different time. Such I'm, a different time. I mean, it's an, I've, I've talked about it, uh, here and there, maybe not even on this podcast, but it's like such a, it was such an interesting time because I don't know, I guess we're kind of feeling it now with, with, uh, Bandcamp and Spotify and things like that. But like, it was interesting that there was an era where depending on how many plays you had on MySpace, you then felt you were confident enough to go on tour. Like maybe you don't even, not even sign to a record label, but you're like, Hey, I'm getting X amount of plays this week. Like, I guess I should go, you know, hop in a van with my friends. It's so funny. Like it took so many years for me to even think about that kind of thing. Like it was like so many years of I'm going on tour surely for the experience. Like I just want to like play the songs meet some new people, travel around. Like it was so like, you know, and, and hopefully break even money wise. That, that was a good tour. Like it was so long before I actually considered like, do people want to even see (laughs) our band? Like, you know, that thought didn't even really cross my mind for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. You don't, you never really have the thought of like, just because I can, should I? You know, like never, the, yeah, I never no, thought that. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. That's why. Yeah. I mean, all of my first tour stuff was always we never played a major city ever. It was always like, no, you know, we're playing the Twin Falls, Idaho. We're playing the, mm-hmm. the we're playing the uh, um, the Eugene Oregon's never Portland, you know, all of that no. sort of stuff. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Um, 
but makes for always the best stories and the best memories and stuff like that, because it's experiences that you'll, you know, as you become a more successful quote unquote musician and things like that, like you never get booked in those places. So it's like, it's like totally, totally polar opposite experience every time. Yeah. I also, I wonder if you feel this way, like having had that sort of like really in the trenches DIY experience, like has just given me so much perspective, like so much valuable perspective and like so much gratitude for like any kind of success. Um, I feel like it just really taught me how to do things myself and how to like, I don't know, just, I, I, I feel really grateful for having had that experience like every day, pretty much. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, if you, when you really start to like get surgical and think about those sorts of things, I mean, I'm sure you have, as I have been in situations where maybe you tour with somebody who, um, you look at and you're like, I don't think this person could do this without a lot of people making it happen for them. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. So you witness that. Like sometimes you size someone up and you're like, you have never slept on a floor. Yes. <laughs> you have never slept on a floor on tour. Like, and, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. What, There's it's, two it's, types of musicians out there, <laughs> you know? This is, this is, yeah, that's exactly it. It's, it's, it's like anyone who's... Look, I, I'll say that I am... I can be a little envious of someone whose first tour is on a bus where it's like, wow. Of course. It's like, cool. Good that's, for you. Yeah. Good for you. You're young and you're yeah. instantly on a bus. Like, shout out to you. But I would not trade that experience for anything. I would rather I would Same. rather have roughed it and slept. And you know, our first the first van we ever had uh, in the in an old band that I was in was like one that we bought off a of gardener for like four hundred dollars, and it like came with literally like soot and dirt, like just just <laughs> crammed into the back that we could never get out. It was, but yeah, it's like I wouldn't trade it for the world. Let me guess. Did you have to leave that van like on the side of a highway at some point? <laughs> um, no. I feel like that always happens when you buy the van for like less than a thousand dollars. You yeah. end up like leaving it somewhere on tour. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it. Oh, wait, you know what? It actually now that you mention it, I'm pretty sure it did. I think it got left in uh, in Oregon. So there mm. you go. That makes sense. Yeah. Then you have to somehow <laughs> figure out go. how you're going to get home. Yeah. With your gear. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so. Uh, that, that band lasted, like you said, like five or five or six years, the Ackley's. And then that sort of turned into P.S. Elliot for the most part. Right. Yeah. So that, that transition was really, um, the short version of that story is Allison and I started the band. We had very like cool sort of lo-fi, um, influences. We got these two guys to be in our band who were, were super sweet and were amazing first bandmates named Michael McClellan and Carter Wilson. They both still live in Birmingham and are great. And they start they they were both just insanely talented, like very, very good at their instruments, bass and drums. Um, and basically the athletes got really polished and we got really successful around town like we could like pack in the kids um you know on a friday night it was it was just totally crazy in locally in birmingham um but then we'd go on tour and like no one really cared and that was sort of the experience and then allison and i i think at one point just kind of like got to came to the conclusion that we really missed um our sort of like weird lo-fi roots um and 
decided we wanted to start a band where she played drums and we like recorded everything in a really sort of like tapey lo-fi way and that is what P.S. Elliot became. Got it. I, I was, uh, you know, one of the things I ask about is like first recording experiences. And because I know so much of the stuff that you've been a part of uh, for several, like even into Waxahachie was stuff that was kind of like recorded with people you've known forever, like friends or like even, you know, just yourselves and whatever. Um, so the Ackleys actually had gone to like a studio and like done the whole thing. Um, uh, like not yourselves, like you've, you went into an actual recording studio. I would not call it a studio. Um, <laughs> I it was uh, our friend's dad's basement, um, but he was a little older and was really a very talented recording engineer. Um, and so we and basically he, I think record he didn't know anything about us and had us like over as a favor to a friend or something, um, and ended up being like really impressed and was like really excited to work on the record. And it was like a really amazing experience. Um, and, but yeah, I, I, it was still pretty DIY. <laughs> okay. I'm curious, um, even from like that first time, do you remember what you felt like going into that studio the first time? Were you like nervous? Were you excited? I was so green at that moment that I didn't really know what to expect. I just was like, so along for whatever, like the ride. Um, I didn't have any idea how to tell him wh- how we wanted to sound or come across like, the Ackleys were so, um, you know, I didn't have any idea how to communicate the vision aesthetically at that point. Like, my ear was so green. <laughs> I just fully was like, these are just our songs, and this is just what we sound like, and just make it sound good. You know, that was pretty much it, which is kind of what led to us eventually. I I, I honed that a little bit into P.S. Elliot. Got it. Got it. Um, and then when you started kind of doing it yourself, uh, was there things that you had took from those first, from like those, the, the, what you got from like recording in the studio to like bringing to doing it yourself where you're like, okay, I remember this worked really well, or I want to kind of start on my own and figure this out for myself. You know, in early PS Elliot, it was like, it was like 2009 or 10 and it was like peak no age Vivian girls like early Titus Andronicus I was like just make it sound like shit you know just like whatever like we'll make it sound really crunchy and bad that's what we want it to sound like yeah (laughs) so just like low this like fully like tapey lo-fi sounds was what we were going for and that was like kind of easier to achieve with no recording experience or knowledge whatsoever (laughs) yeah there's something to be said about that sound coming uh, uh, coming very naturally versus someone who's like paying thousands of dollars to make their, their record sound bad, which is something that is always yeah. interesting to me. You know, it's like you, totally. how much was the budget on this record? And you spent that to make it sound like I, I recorded it on a voice memo on my phone. Uh, sick. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, it's cool too, because I think I've always thought those PS Elliot records, like actually, I mean, I think you, you both accomplish or you all accomplished it like really well where um it does have the lo-fi sound but you can hear everything and it's you know and, and it it hits the mark did you feel like you you yeah. had done it when you heard it back were you like this is what we were looking for yeah so it's really just that first demo um that you know in our own little way like broke ps elliot i feel like that there's been so many like little moments over the years where I'm like I feel like we're making some kind of progress I don't even really know what the goal is but 
Um, the demo that we put out um, is what I recorded. And yeah, it was exactly what we wanted it to sound like um, somehow. And the other two P.S. Eliot full lengths um, were recorded with like two different engineers, but still very DIY. Okay. Um, and every time it felt, yeah, I like always felt pretty good about it. And I just feel like my process with recording and making records, um, I mean, I, I'm just slowly chipping away. Like I feel like I've gotten better and better with every single record, but it's been at a very slow pace. So I guess, yes, usually I, the, whatever record I'm working on usually meets me halfway. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. Are you... Are you able to listen back to, I mean, it, you've now put out, this is the newest St. Cloud is your fifth, is the fifth Waxahachie record, right? Yeah. So are you able to even like listen back to, you know, like not even something that long ago, like an Ivy trip and be comfortable with how it sounds? Or do you, are, do you pick apart like, oh, I wish I could have done this better, done this different or anything like that? Or I don't usually like have any kind of regret about it. Um, Sometimes it's a little hard to listen to. Ivy Trip specifically, I feel really proud of, and I really still love. Um, and it, it, that was a record that was made at a really weird time in my life, and I feel like despite all of that, we still came out with a cool record. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think with every... I, the, the biggest shift I've had, I think, musically, has been between Out in the Storm and... St. Cloud. I feel like I'm truly a different person from that record to record. So that that record specifically is a little tough for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like seeing an old photo of yourself from like 15 years ago. You can laugh at it, but you also like love that person, you know, and like love that time in your life and can kind of appreciate it. It's like, you know, it's there's a, like a lot of asterisks in listening back. Um, but you know, for the most part, I can do it with like some perspective and and still like some enjoyment. That's that's a very healthy way to enjoy it. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Like you you meet people from time to time who like as soon as a record comes out, they're already living in regrets uh, or, or things like that. So it's it's good to know when you can reflect back and listen to something and be proud of it or even just be like, yeah, you know, like that was what it was. What, what do you find that once you have a record come out and then you start playing it live? Um, that you, even from like, you know, from di the different bands you've been in and, and, and all that sort of stuff, like, do you, do you still find new ways to perform songs live after they've been on a record? Like all of a sudden, cause now that, you know, live a record takes on a life of itself once you're touring on it and you're like really feeling how it feels live. Um, I guess I, I'm, I'm asking out of my own curiosity because I know that for instance, like when Touche writes and records a record by the time we start playing it live and I'm singing these songs all of a sudden I'm like singing lines in different places and like they kind of have a different swagger to them and stuff like that you playing the kind of music that you do does that same sort of thing happen yes I think so um I, it's so funny because it's been so long since I've done yeah, that so know, it's right? a little hard for me to say that um <laughs> I think so I think I do that um yeah I certainly do that with old songs um and, you know, I mean, since I put out St. Cloud, I have a new band and kind of a new approach to how I play. Um, and so it, all of my songs from, like, the first four records have been sort of put through the St. Cloud filter. <laughs> so, oh, like, everything yeah. 
when we play, it, they're all going to be pretty different um, in, in a way that I think people will really enjoy. But it's, yeah, I like to make, my songs are really simple. It's pretty easy for me to play them in a lot of different ways. Um, and I certainly like to have an easier time um, going out there and p- performing them when they are new and exciting to me. Um, so, yeah. That's awesome. I have, I've always enjoyed when artists um, are able to reimagine songs with, you know, new background bands or, or whatever they can bring to it on like a new on a tour where all of a sudden you're like, whoa, that's that, you know, like you're watching a band play and then you start to hear the melody. You're like, oh, my God, that's the song. And then the vocals come in. You're like, oh, this is a cool rendition of this song. Is that kind of what you're saying with this new background band? Like they just have a different feel to them. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Um, and and I've and I've shifted the band around a few times in like the just in you know the ten years I've done Waxahachie. Um, and that's and I, and sometimes I'll just play with the drummer. Sometimes I'll play totally solo, or you know what I mean. Like I'll just sometimes I'll play songs like solo on piano that are like big rock songs. It just kind of like um, that. That's kind of yeah, what I mean. Just just being my, my songs are luckily translatable. Um, to all different kinds of formations. So that's, that's always been like a cool part of what I do and a way to keep it fresh. Um, I'm sure you've done tours where it's just you by yourself as Waxahachie. Then you've also done the full big band thing. Um, is it ever like a grass is greener situation when you're doing that, where sometimes you feel like it could be one thing and you're like, Oh, I really wish doing it the other way. you like, is that tough ever? It's never not. The grass is greener. Like, it's <laughs> always, always like anytime I'm solo, I'm just like so sad I don't have the band. And anytime I have the band, I'm like, I kind of miss being by myself, you know? Like it's just, that's just the nature of it, I think. <laughs> yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, to go back just a little bit, or actually time wise, uh, uh, back a while. Um, so the PSL8 records came out on Salinas, which I know is a record label out of New York. I'm curious how that came your way. Like, was it, how did that friendship or bond start? Was it just again, like internet? Cause I know they're a New York based label, right? So they are currently a New York based label, but at the time, which is so, this is so funny in hindsight now, but, um, they were a Detroit based record label. Mm. Um, and Marco Riasti who runs Salinas is from Detroit and lived there until like a few years ago. And now he's in New York, but, um, you know, we had a lot of friends that were putting records out with them and we liked what they were doing. And, you know, we were in this kind of specific, kind of like hyper specific subsect of DIY punk, which was like, sort of influenced by indie rock and sort of influenced by like current emo at the time and then sort of the the culture around it was very DIY punk. There's a really specific little pocket of music um like that I would also say like Hop Along or there were other bands that were kind of in the mix with us um and and Selena's was just kind of like putting all that stuff out at the time. Um so we sort of kind of came to each other like yeah we should probably do this right (laughs) like you guys are putting out the records like us we're putting out the kind of music you like you know um so that's how that came about was just it it there was no reason for it to not happen kind of (laughs) sure no that makes sense I'm always fascinated when um bands from one region end up putting out records on labels that are from quite far away you know where it's 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 I'm always just kind of curious how those formations really start to happen um 
but yeah, that makes perfect sense. It's it's I'm trying to even think about what era that really is. And that makes sense. It's like, you know, your band grew up being influenced by probably like a lot of like the Saddle Creeks and, and things like that. But you're totally. playing in a world that probably is leaning closer to like, especially at that time, maybe more of like the folk punk stuff, um, the very yeah. like Gainesville sort of stuff style stuff so yeah it's like an interesting meeting in the middle where it's like okay yeah we're we like the alt country but our our where we're playing is in this world so that makes sense totally and like that world felt super accessible at the time whereas like the saddle creek world was not as accessible accessible to us yeah Yeah. so it was like that was that was kind of just like where we what we fell into um even though musically it sort of didn't totally exist there but Right. No, I get that. Um, how did you, was it through the Ackleys or was it through PS Elliot, how you ended up meeting the fake problems guys? Oh my gosh. Um, let me think about it. I think it was just through them playing at cave nine. I don't think we, I, I, they on one of the first tours I ever did when I was like 17, they set up a show in Naples for the Ackleys. I want to say, um, I think it was the Ackleys and, we played with them and um, the Dry County, which is Carson for Merchandise's like uh, like pop punk band at the time. This was literally in like 2006, <laughs> um, and Fake Problems. And I remember just being like, "These guys are crazy!" Like I was like, "These guys are crazy and really cool, and they are like having so much fun." And I just loved them immediately. And then we would always, you know, kind of they would come to Birmingham all the time because they toured more than any other band. So. Um, yeah, that's how I met them was just touring in the DIY circuit. And it sounds like it's just one of those beautiful situations where it's like they, uh, cause you were playing, what instrument were you playing with them? Mandolin, Mandolin. and keys. Okay. Yeah. That was like, that happened like a year after I met them. I think Sean, the drummer of fake problems called me one day and was like, Hey, it was literally like my final semester of high school. I was about to graduate and he and and they were probably like a year and a half older than me. Like we were like all babies. <laughs> um, he called me and was like, "Do you are you like available to come on?" It was a ridiculously long tour, like probably two, uh, like an eight week tour. <laughs> He's like, "Do you want to come on this tour with Fake Problems? Like we're playing everywhere. It's like full U.S. And um, could you like sing back up and you know play mandolin and keys? Neither of which I play well to this day. Um, <laughs> but I was, I kind of talked it over with my mom. I was supposed to go to college, you know. It was like oh, right man. when college would have started. Um, but I didn't want to go to college. I just sort of was going because that's what you do. Um, and my parents were kind of like, yeah, we think you should just do that. Like, oh, that's amazing. why not? I know. It's actually really cool because they've always been really supportive. But, um, you know, I think they really didn't expect music to be like a career thing, as most parents probably wouldn't. Um, so I was I've always been like really grateful that they pushed me to do it. Um, but yeah, so I went on. That's how that's how the tour happened with Fake Problems was just a sweet phone call one day. Was and was that like a he- were they headlining like a DIY tour? Because that would have been when you come to came to L.A. I'm trying to think of what if they would have just been headlining, probably. Right. Yep. Um, I'm trying to remember what record 
it would have been. I think it was How Far Our Bodies Go. When that record came out, they did a tour, like a full a full U.S. tour. And it was a headline tour, and they had different openers. There was like a part of the tour that was with Lemuria, and then there was a part of the tour that was with a band from San Francisco called Nothington, oh, yeah. like a pop punk band. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It was wild. It was honestly the most fun I've ever had, probably. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> um, it was really, really, it, like, that that kind of, like, super young, like, kind of reckless, like, just very silly, fun time. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I, I, I adore those guys. I haven't, I haven't caught up with some of them in a minute, but having Chris Farron be pretty close by here, I see, I see him every so often and it's always a joy, but, um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't caught up with, uh, with Casey, Sean, or probably Derek. Derek is the person I've probably seen the least, but, uh, yeah, fun, fun group always. Fun group. I know. I haven't really caught up with any of them except for, Chris also in a really long time, but they're, yeah, they're all stand up guys. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> um, so you ended up, was the, was, a uh, was American weekend, which is the first, uh, Waxahachie like LP. Was that, uh, was that released on Don Giovanni? Yeah. Um, that was released on Don Giovanni. Yep. Okay. And how did that come your way? Like what, uh, what did that relationship start? Well, so, we made the second P.S. Elliott record, Sadie, in 2010, mm-hmm. I want to say, um, and which came out on Salinas. And kind of right as that record came out, uh, Joe Steinhardt from Don Giovanni reached out to me and, and was like, hey, like, I know you work with Salinas, but I'm such a fan. And at the time, like, you know, Salinas was, was hyper DIY, like really, really punk. Um, and Don Giovanni was came from that world but sort of had like a one foot in the regular music business store um and so there was like there was something about Don Giovanni that felt like just elevated in that one way um that that was intriguing to me at the time and he asked like hey I know like basically if you if P.S. Eliot has another record and you feel like a change like I would love to talk to you and I had already made American Weekend, I think. It was, like, that was probably early 2011. I had already made American Weekend, and I had just been sitting with it and had no, um, no real... I didn't really know what it was at the time. I just had made this solo record, gone through, like, kind of a hard couple of months and just, like, made this record very quickly. And I wrote him and just was like, you know, there's not going to be another P.S. Elliott record. We kind of decidedly are not going to do that anymore, but I do have this solo record and I don't really know what it is, but if you want to take a listen, um, and I sent it to him and he loved it and we put it out. That was kind of that. (laughs) How long, how long had you been sitting on it? Like a year, a few months? I sat with it for a year. Um, and there was, yeah, there was a pretty much a solid year where no one listened to it except for me and Allison. Um, mm. And I, I maybe would, like, play bits and pieces of it here and there to friends, but, like, really no one... I sat with those songs for so long and didn't really know what it was or know what to do with it. And, yeah, Joe reaching out about about putting a record out felt like a good sign. That's interesting. That's interesting, because I've always looked at you as someone who's quite prolific, where, like, you you've had projects like that kind of pop up first like you did uh there's there's the band uh like bad banana and like uh great thunder is another one right 
um, mm-hmm. that these are like they put out. It was like a EP or something like that, that that you did with these bands. So was it ever hard to be like, oh, these songs could be P.S. Eliot songs or like, I don't know if I want to start a new band with these songs or, or things like that. Like, was it ever hard to decide which is going to be what and which is that you're going to take more seriously and things like that? Honestly, no. I mean, I think that when I was making the Waxahachie record, the first Waxahachie record, um, I had been struggling in a band dynamic, like um, that. I that has always been a challenge for me, um, being in something that is like democratic, um, because I've always been so, you know invested in the songwriting and whatnot. So like, um, you know, with P.S. Eliot, for example, I struggled a lot with that band because I wrote all the songs and was very like heavy handed about what, how everything needed to be like, for lack of a better word, I was very controlling. And when you do your own project, that's, you're supposed to be controlling. That's all it is. Um, and when you're working with other people and you're sort of sharing it as like a, you know, as like a little family unit, that can be really unpleasant for the other people involved and for me. So it was sort of like a, we were always sort of struggling in that band. And then, you know, we started Bad Banana and that was really shared between me and Allison and it worked really well, but we all, we both, I think knew this, we, we weren't going to be creatively satisfied without our own separate things. So that's kind of how Waxahachie came into play. I, I, I knew I wanted to make music, sort of like the last fold of this would be, I knew I also wanted to make music that was like quiet, <laughs> just like quiet and, and sad and just sort of introspective. I knew, I knew I wanted like to take on a little bit of a newer voice. Sure. No, that, that I get that for sure. Um, and then you ended up making records with uh, Waxahachie kind of still within your unit, right? Like they were sort of like the lo-fi did them yourself sort of a thing was, um, out of the storm, the first record that you went to someone you didn't know to make, because you went. Uh, I, forgive me, how you, is it Ag- Agnello? Agnello? How's that how you say his last name? Ag- yeah, Agnello. Yeah, totally. You got it. Yes. Agnello. Ag- you can drop the G a little, I think, too. But um, <laughs> but that was yeah, the first time I, you, you went to someone who like you weren't already kind of built in with, right? Yeah. So I made um, Ivy Trip and Cerulean Salt with the same people. So basically, like the the loose trajectory was I put out out in the or excuse me I put out American Weekend and moved to New York kind of all in the same moment um and then Allison started swearing um and I promise that this all ties together (laughs) Allison started swearing (laughs) um and Kyle and Keith that were Kyle and Allison um dated for a long time and then Keith who was in swearing and I dated for a long time and we all moved to Philadelphia and I made Cerulean Salt and Ivy Trip with Keith and Kyle as like the producer engineers. Um, and that's kind of, they were making their own records, like the swearing records. They were making the Radiator Hospital records. Like we were all kind of like all make, like living together and making records as like a group in a very DIY way. So yes. And then John and Yellow for Out in the Storm was the first time I um, worked in a studio with like kind of period Right. And what was I mean, what was that like for you to all of a sudden step outside of what your comfort zone is? Because, I mean, you have to I mean, at some point you had to been like, yo, this is all working. It's a maybe don't if it's not broke, don't fix it sort of thing. But did you hit a point where you're like, maybe I should look outside the box and see what that feels like to have that outside perspective? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it all happened exactly how it needed to. I think like I, I needed to cling to my roots <laughs> of like making records on my own terms on like a, on a small budget in my house over the course of several months. I ne- I like needed to do that at the time. And then, you know, a bunch of big shifts happened. Um, you know, several of the relationships that I mentioned earlier ended. Um, and, you know, I had a, a decent budget and I had, you know, um, a new sound in mind. And I was really kind of for in a lot of ways, it was the first record in several where I didn't have these like close friend collaborators that were really involved. Um, so I was for, you know, more or less on my own and yeah, I, I brought John in, um, just to try something new. And he, when we, when I met with him about it, he was so warm, um, and just seemed like the right sort of gentle person to like usher me into this new era. Um, so that's kind of the, that was the process of all of that. And were you already pretty familiar with him from some of the records he had done in the past? Yeah, my manager, Rennie, um, manages Kurt Vile also. And so I knew he had worked on the Kurt records and like he came to highly recommended um, and he had worked with Hopalong um, and just a few other like friends. Um, and so, yeah, I, lo- I loved the stuff he'd worked on. And, you know, at that moment, I really wanted to bring in my live band at the time, um, which was, you know, just a few old friends. Um, and I also brought in my friend Katie Harkin, who's like an amazing guitar player. It was like a very like, the sound was like really like big and rock and lots of guitars. And that's like something that John does really well. Um, so it felt, it felt really right. Yeah, it's you. You went back on wanting to play quiet music all the time. You're like, I guess I should yeah. probably have an. And then it, <laughs> then it like imploded, and I made Saint Cloud. <laughs> um, it's what I forget is Ivy Trip is the first record that was on Merge, correct? Correct. Yeah. It's funny. I was just thinking when you were describing the the you know you have a budget now. I was going to say it. I'm sure. I'm sure at at one point someone at Merge was like, "This is great." We could put out records for this person who records them themselves. The budget is this small. This is fantastic. Yeah, and now you're like, all right, I now know. I'm trying to go to a studio. <laughs> strap in, <Yeah>. merge. <laughs> yeah, strap in. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, and then, uh, obviously, the the newest record, St. Cloud, is like, you know, it's. I feel like it's even bigger and even more expansive and, and, and all these sorts of things. And, and thinking back on the start of this conversation with, like, how it you feel like it reflects some of the some of the country that you were kind of grown grown up with. I'm curious, like, is it a, a record that um, like your mom enjoys? Like, could she listen to it and be like, yes, this sounds like what I grew up or like what I loved for for years? Like, is that is that anything that you've ever talked about? Yeah. You know, I feel like my parents are always just going to be surface level supportive. So I feel like they always have been like, it's great. And I, I really like proudly played them every record I've ever made. And they've always been super sweet about it. So their reaction hasn't been that different, but I just, my common sense brain has to assume that this is more their taste than anything else I've ever done. Sure. Remind me again, what month did, did St. Cloud come out during the pandemic? I can't remember. It came out March 27th, 2020. So like three weeks in to the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously you haven't been able to to perform any of these songs live at all, right? Well, as of last week, 
that's no longer true. I played a couple, I played three shows in Kansas City. Um, not with my band. Kevin and I did like a, a residency thing at this place here in, in town in Kansas City. Um, and we sort of made like a hybrid version of our bands. We flew like friends in to play with us. But I'm playing um, in a month with Bright Eyes um, opening in, uh, at Forest Hill Stadium, which is crazy. So our first show as a band, the St. Cloud Band, will be to 13,000 people, <laughs> which oh is insane. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, well, just, I mean, real quick, how was, how was even just playing a couple weeks ago? I mean, I know it's, it wasn't, as, as you mentioned, like specifically like a Waxahachie thing, but like how did it feel did it was it was it kind of like a relearning situation on how to be on stage and do it or what it did it just snap back in natural it was crazy I mean the first show it felt like I never played a show in my life and then the second show it was like amazing like it it, I it's it came back very quickly but that first one was very like nervy for all of us we were all kind of like anxious and just like what are we how do we do this you know um there's like a bit of a a learning curve but it came back pretty quick and now I'm just excited to hit the road yeah oh I'm I'm so excited for you we have uh we have some that's gonna be announced sooner than later by the time this airs it'll have been announced but like we're also doing like a September October thing and I'm just I'm so excited because our record came out in October I mean even, I mean, having a record come out at all during last year is, is tough, but I, I feel especially bad for the, for the friends that put out records in the beginning of the year, because it's like you had the whole year to, of what you probably had plans for that didn't end up happening. So I'm so excited for you that you get to go out and do this and that it's fucking crushing looking at all the sold out shows on this tour coming up. How cool. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks. You know, I feel really lucky. I, I feel like, um, people got to sit with the record a little bit longer and it seemed to like hit people in the right way. Like just sort of like the message of it resonated or uh, seemed to. Um, And now I get to do the tour and it's going to be bigger than it would have been, you know? So I, I feel like I feel super grateful and you know, it'll be worth the wait. And um, yeah. (laughs) Did you end up doing any like live stream stuff at all during the year or no? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I did. Um, yeah, I did. I did a few. I did like one pre-recorded one and then like a few live ones. Um, yeah, I dabbled yeah. in all that. Yeah. <laughs> did you guys do that? We did one. Um, you know, I'm sure you're like me where you're like, yeah, I'll do it just cause it'll help sell or like keep people interested and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but of like, it's like, pretty quickly like this isn't what i enjoy about making music you know like no, i like playing to people no, no, not no. a camera and no yeah so and also i had this really absurd probably way uh, neurotic thought where i was like follow me down this hole i'm sorry katie come with me come with me down this hole <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 coming with okay you. where i was like okay for years it had always been it's so hard to get, you know, you, you stress with tours because you're, you're concerned about, um, competition in the sense of, um, not in a bad way, but competition like, Oh, who else is in town tonight or who else was in town this week? So that was our already always the problem. And then of course these last four or five years has turned into, we're literally competing with Netflix. We're competing with people who would just like rather get off work and watch their subscription TV show. Right. Which yeah, totally. totally, 
totally, you know, fine. Fair it, enough. Mo yeah. Money's tight. And sometimes you just got to stay home and watch your TV. Okay. So that became our competition where it's like, well, we're competing with, you know, Amazon prime. Um, and then, so we get 2020 to happen and people start doing a shit ton of live streams. And I was like, I have this neurotic fear that someone's going to be like, I don't need to go to the show. I already watched it on my phone. Like I already know what it was like, yeah. you know? And yeah, I've said that to people and people jump at me quickly and they're like, no, people miss live music. They miss going out. But I'm like, do they like, I hope, I really hope, but so uh, I will say, yeah, go ahead. They do. Yeah, they oh. do. And I, th and they're, I mean, the Touche Amore tickets are going to fly. Trust me. Like they really are. I feel like that's, people are so excited to see you guys. I know, I know that's true. Oh, that's really it's sweet. It's going to be great. I appreciate it. But what I was going to say was seeing your, your tour get announced and then see it just like do as well as it did. I was, it gave me a sense of like, Good. Okay, I think I think we're gonna be okay. I think we're gonna be, You're gonna okay. be okay. Yeah, and anyone who's yeah. listening who thinks I'm neurotic, prove me wrong. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Please prove me wrong. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I'd like to end. I like to end every show with uh, with asking uh, my guests when the first time they felt like they were like doing the thing that you, that they had been working so hard towards was. Do you remember what that moment was for you? Um, that's such a good question. And I feel like I've had probably 10 of those moments in the last decade. Um, and you know, so I'll just, I'll say the most recent one, which the most recent time I felt that way was the day that I released St. Cloud. I feel like that was, you know, I made, um, a lot, I took a lot of risks on that record. I feel like I made a lot of pivots, um, with subject matter, with the way I wrote lyrics, with the way I went about recording it, um, with the, even like the genre that I leaned into. Um, and to then have such positive feedback, um, so quickly and immediately and for people to still be excited about it over a year later, um, having that kind of reassurance, um, for something that felt like at the time such a risk, uh, has was just so huge for me um so yeah i think that's probably my my most recent one but i love that i yeah i've had a lot over the years i've you know i don't know just really grateful grateful to be here grateful to you know live the life that we live <laughs> i have to imagine it uh even like you know i i know you've you just mentioned you're playing with bright eyes like i have to imagine because you've toured with bright eyes in the past like that had to have been kind of a a wild one. And I know you got to open for a jawbreaker. Like I imagine those sort oh, yeah. of situations are ones where you're like, wow, this is kind of crazy. I know it really is. It's so cool. It's so cool. And it's, it's really cool to like, you know, get to bring my new band into the fold with it. Like, I mean, I just imagine we're just going to show up at forest Hills and just be like, crazy right <laughs> you know, like, this, is, this is pretty crazy yeah <laughs> you told me my like 15 year old katie that she'd be out here with connor oberst like to thirteen thousand people i would have been pretty excited you yeah. know so it's it's pretty cool it's pretty cool that's awesome thank you so much katie <laughs> it was it was awesome getting to talk to you today thanks for having me hell yeah all right, that is our show. Thank you so much to Katie Crutchfield for coming on and thank you for hanging out with us. Uh, subscribers to the Patreon have the opportunity to ask Katie a couple questions. And if you are subscribing, you can now go to the Patreon and hear her answers. 
That is one of the things that is a perk if you subscribe to the Patreon, which is patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. How many times can I say the P word in a short amount of time? I don't know. All right. If you haven't subscribed also here on Spotify or Apple, really would mean a lot. Thank you so much for your time. I will see you next week. Bye-bye.